You're listening to McBee Care Threads, a podcast where leaders across the healthcare industry can learn from each other. We'll discuss stories and explore strategies to help providers deliver value-based care and hear your peers share their best practices for success. Let's get into the show. Hello, my name is Mike Dordick. I'm the president of McBee, and I wanted to welcome everyone again to another episode of McBee Care Threads and our, our podcast series. I have a really great topic today. Joining me today in this podcast is Al Guida, the president of Guide Consulting Services. Uh, I'm going to let Al introduce himself, but I think Al great, brings a great wealth of knowledge from being in D.C. and as, and, you know, as a lobbyist for a number of years. So uh, welcome, Al. I'd love to have you uh, introduce yourself to the, to the group. Sure, Mike. Thanks for having me on the podcast this afternoon. My firm has been around for quite a while, a couple decades now, and we represent an array of clients, uh, healthcare providers, state agencies, technology companies, and uh, most recently, uh, the makers of new COVID-19 treatments. And we, our advocacy spans Medicare, Medicaid, and uh, the federal discretionary appropriations process in the healthcare space. Thanks, Al. Yeah, and Al brings a, a great uh, background uh, being in D.C. And what I wanted to start with in this in this uh, conversation is, Al, how do you see D.C. this year? I mean, you, you're in an interesting time period because you're in an election year. And I wanted to see what your thoughts were related to how that, what's happening in D.C. will affect uh, the post-acute industry, but all, obviously healthcare overall right now. So, Mike, thanks for the question. <laughs> so, my first answer is, uh, first was shock, particularly uh, when COVID hit right around mid-March. And then, unfortunately, we've we've returned to form here relative to the, relative to the partisan divisions that uh, affect, afflict both our country and then most particularly Washington. So, I think the shock came in the sense of the amount of legislation and the spending and the speed with which the Congress moved between, say, March and May to respond to the COVID crisis. So I want to say that there were probably four pieces of legislation, all related to coronavirus relief. The total value of that legislation was $3 trillion with a T, some of which was in the, specifically in the, uh, the post-acute space. And by the way, most of that were were voice votes, or uh, there were few, if any, uh, votes against that legislation. So, so the, there was a real period of unanimity in response to the crisis. And, and again, it was just shocking for someone that's, you know, that's been in Washington so long to see the common sort of moniker for that was that the Congress had done three years' worth of legislating in three months. But now, unfortunately, we're in a spot where, because we're closer to the election, uh, and we're only probably 41 days out now, we've sort of returned to form. And uh, I suspect, Mike, the listeners of this podcast, many in the, in the post-acute care space, that they need additional resources from the federal government to be able to address the impact that that COVID-19 has had on their practices and their businesses. And unfortunately, as we speak, uh, it doesn't seem as if the Congress is going to produce another COVID relief package before they leave for the election. And that is the result of the proximity that, you know, we're closer to the election than we were back in March. And then, you know, sort of returning to form relative to 
to the stark ideological divisions that uh, divide the parties, particularly in the healthcare space, by the way. Now, yeah, I mean, it, you bring COVID really does throw things a lot. Obviously, we've all lived through this in this really odd year of 2020. Do you have any thoughts on what would have been? I mean, where where do you think we were in in DC with especially related to post acute care before COVID happened, and what what stopped? I mean, we know we, we next. I want to talk about the things that have actually helped move forward. But any thoughts on what where where things were in March before the world kind of turned upside down? So. With the day-to-day practice of post-acute services in home care, COVID-19 has radically impacted both the staff and the patients in that, in that therapeutic space. In terms of the political impact, it has, had a, has a, a discrete impact, Mike. So what I would say is um, much of the focus on home care on Capitol Hill for the last decade or more has really been on Office of the Inspector General investigations and uh, fraud and abuse. So uh, in 2016, in the Support Act, for example, the Congress responded to that by an electronic visit verification requirement to have uh, staff time in and out using a technology to ensure that they were actually providing home care. Since COVID, however, there has been a radical shift away from that focus and towards the possibilities that home care and hospice provide to this patient population because of the impact that COVID has had on congregate environments, Mike. So long-term care facilities, assisted living facilities, unfortunately, and very, very sadly, have had a a high incidence of COVID and uh, unfortunately a large number of deaths. And so the the Congress, I think, sees now home care as a way to serve seniors and people with disabilities outside of those congregate care settings. And there are a number of you know administrative actions that the Congress that the Trump administration has taken to try to facilitate that. So I think it's you know it's had quite an impact on how Capitol Hill views this specific space. And I think you bring up some great points, especially related to, I mean, the fraud comment resonates. I mean, those of us who have been in post-acute care for a long period of time know that there was a point in time when you go to members of Congress and when when you mention home care or post-acute care, the first thing would come out of their mouth is fraud. And I think what the positive scenario was that we we as an industry do great work for patients in their homes. And I think there, there were a couple of bad apples that were causing a lot of issues, especially in certain areas of the country, like Miami-Dade County is one that always comes up in the scenarios there, and other markets like Los Angeles and Detroit, Houston, just have a have a, a history of, of having a lot of fraud, and that's what people focus on. You only remember the stories of the of the those bad things that happen, not not the number of hundreds of thousands or millions of patients that are being taken care of by the industry, by the caregivers that have done such a wonderful job through always, but even further into COVID. I think what COVID has helped us with as an industry is that it's it's kind of put that spotlight on what can be done. I mean, one of the things I've noticed, I mean, if you look at the data and McKenzie put out a study recently and it showed the actual volumes of where we all know that acute care volumes have gone down significantly through this pandemic. And, and you saw the, the, you mentioned the senior living facilities having some of the same issues. 
when you look at post-acute, home health had the numbers drop off as much as 25%, 30% in certain areas, and they've come back. And when you project where they're going to move forward, those numbers are going to skyrocket. Hospice, when you look at hospice, we have not seen as much in that decrease where the numbers only drop slightly and they're going to, they're coming back and starting to go positive. So I think the view in my mind, I think is really important to what you brought up is I think the view in DC is we've really seen a, a significant shift where it's being seen as positive in that area. So staying along that same line, Looking forward to 2021, how do you see the, the D.C. landscape changing and, and gives your thoughts and depending on which party ends up in the White House, but also in Congress? And how does that affect health care and especially post-acute care, depending on how that takes place? There's a sort of a very specific response to that because there's pending legislation, right? So the um, and there's a dispute, unfortunately, on, on, on Capitol Hill about that pending legislation, right? So. The HEROES Act that Speaker Pelosi shepherded to the House floor and secured House package back in back in May had a discrete additional financing for post-acute care and recognizing the impact that COVID has had on, on the post-acute care space. What I'm most familiar with is uh, about a $13 billion program in Medicaid that would expand financing specifically for home health care providers to help them address the consequences of COVID-19 on their practices and businesses. So uh, overtime pay, hazard pay, differential pay, financing for PPE, masks, gloves, uh, gowns. And I suspect that, Mike, that many of the people that are listening to this podcast man their staffs or uh, need this equipment to be able to safely provide care for seniors and and and, uh, and persons with disabilities so the the congress is about to leave town without a, a, you know an acting on that legislation so i would say that come the morning of november 4th obviously there's going to be a a significant amount of of uh, of uh, tumult between now and then and and maybe even a couple of weeks where the where the outcome of the presidential election is uncertain because of the need to count mail ballots and what have you. But I would think, particularly if it's if the conventional wisdom is correct, and uh, Mike, I'm a lobbyist, not a pollster. But what the polling indicates is that if if there's a President Biden and a Democratic Senate, that I would think that in the early part of next year, right? So so I don't think we're talking. 2020 at this juncture, likely in the early part of 2021, there would be an effort to revive that COVID package, add a few other things to it, and pass it very rapidly because of the epidemiology indicating that COVID is going to be with us well into 2021, maybe even through the holiday season of 2021. So that's if Democrats take control, I would imagine that particularly relative to that COVID business, there would be a, a swift and large financial package passed to help the healthcare industry in general and post-acute and home care providers and hospice providers in particular. If President Trump remains president, I, I would still think, Mike, that there would have to be a strong impetus, particularly if he um, retains control of the Senate. You know, there wouldn't be much need to continue the ideological challenges that now afflict us, 
the next election is in in um, that's uh, you know, congressional election would, would be 2022. I would think that even in that case, if if, if President Trump were reelected, and it, and it was a Republican Senate and a Democratic House, that that looks like that's the conventional wisdom. If he does pull it out, Mike, that there would still be a desire to move a COVID package, probably not quite as large as a $3 trillion uh, HEROES Act. But still, I would think that there would be some desire to provide direct financing for both the healthcare field writ large and then specifically for home care uh, and uh, hospice providers, Mike, and post-acute care providers. That's great. It's great insight, oh, Alan. And I, I think that I mean, really there's so much is up in the air right now. And, and obviously, depending on which side of the fence you sit on and, and, and what's there. And again, we're not going to get into a political scenario here. I really just wanted to hear what, what your thoughts were related to what would happen or what could happen, depending on how those things move, which will only time will tell and we'll find out soon enough. I wanted to, 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 to twitch a little bit, Alan. You got you spent a lot of time or a lot of your time lobbying around the Medicaid space and some of the human services, too. I think and this group may mainly be a post-acute group listening, and I could be wrong, and there could be lots, lots of others that decide to join and listen to this podcast. But why don't you just give some thoughts on what you're seeing in Medicaid spend and, and human services? Because I think that it is corollary to some of the post-acute pieces that may be worth uh, for the, some, just some thoughts on that for the group to hear. Sure. And, and uh, Mike, I think you're having Bill Domney from the National Association of Home Care and Hospice on next week. So if I could just focus initially on the Medicare space, and then we'll, and then we'll shift to Medicaid. Absolutely. I know that there is an active battle in the post-acute care space against a proposed six percent cut to home care reimbursement, and 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 Bill and uh, and uh, a number of leaders in the post-acute care space are leading the battle against that reimbursement reduction. And what I would say is that entirely is a creature of administrative rulemaking, right? So if the cards change, you know, going back to the prior conversation that we had, Mike, if there's a Biden administration that suddenly seizes control of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, there might be a reevaluation of that cut. So, 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 you know, so in other words, right now, there's a legislative effort to try to reverse that cut and or to intimidate the Trump administration to back down off that reimbursement reduction. And if the election produces, produces the outcome that conventional wisdom now describes, it's possible that a Biden administration might look at that differently, either reduce the percentage cut or pull that reimbursement reduction completely. Now, I don't know that. I, I, I don't have any, any inside knowledge, uh, but at the same time, that's that is a reasonable possibility because of the severity of the impact of that of that payment reduction relative to Medicaid. What I would say is the home care and hospice space is attractive to decision makers because of the cost of congregate care. I know we talked about the impact of of covid on on nursing facilities and assisted living, but they are also very high cost settings. And I think increasingly, I think through the home and community-based waiver program, the HCBS option within Medicaid, it's something like 600,000 Americans, persons with disabilities, seniors, and individuals with other chronic care conditions, HIV, AIDS, and others, 
are now served through that HCBS program in their home or in group homes. And I think that that is increasingly attractive to state decision makers to expand access to home and community-based services, Mike, because of the cost differential. So the last time I looked, serving a senior in their home through personal attendance services versus serving that same senior in a nursing facility, I think it's a, it's 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 three times less expensive or, or three times more expensive to serve that individual in, in a nursing home than it is to serve them in their own home with the appropriate services and supports. So that mathematics is, I think, predominant and is going to put pressure on Medicaid agencies because of the fiscal impact that COVID is going to have. So uh, what I what I see is uh, projected Medicaid reimbursement reductions of 6 to 10% within the next calendar year that will impact all providers in the Medicaid space, including post-acute. And so given those challenges, given the lack of, of revenue for state and local government, I think that home care, post-acute services, through the Home and Community-Based Services Program is increasingly a very attractive economic option for uh, decision makers, uh, both governors and, and uh, state legislators, Mike. That's awesome, I mean, great, great insight, Al. I mean, as, uh, as, as you think about all the different areas of things that could change, I thought that would be a good place to, to wrap up our podcast. And I wanted to thank you, Al, for joining us today on this uh, episode of Care Threads on the McBee podcast. And, uh, Greatly appreciate the insight. Hope people enjoyed this one. And uh, please feel free to, to listen. We'll be have a couple of great ones coming up following this as well. But uh, great, great information here. So uh, thanks. And we'll talk to everybody soon. Take care. Thanks, Mike. At McBee, we understand the challenges providers face across the healthcare landscape. For more than 45 years, we've been a part of the evolution of the healthcare industry. Our strategic advisory solutions span the home health, hospice, health system, and senior living care continuums, creating improved clinical, financial, and operational outcomes. Our expertise is guaranteed. Our solutions empower. Visit us today at mcbeeassociates.com. Thank you for listening to McBee Care Threads. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. For more information on the topics discussed today, visit our website at mcbeeassociates.com. Until next time.